This morning we're starting a new series. You probably figured that out by the stage set that's in front of you, but we're starting a brand new series uh, dealing with the church. We're going to spend six weeks talking about the church. This morning we're going to talk about the church defined. What is the church? And then we're going to talk about the purpose of the church. Then we're going to talk about what's the responsibility of the leaders of the church, and then the responsibilities of the members of the church. And then we're going to talk about the two ordinances that God has given to the church of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So that's where we're going over the course of the next six weeks. This morning, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Here we have the first mention of the church in the New Testament. It might surprise you to know that the word church is only used twice in the Gospels, and both times it's used in the book of Matthew. So here is the first mention of the church in the New Testament. Follow with me, beginning with verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus knew that was a very important question. It's a very important question for us to consider today as well. Who is the Son of Man? Just who is Jesus? There are lots of different opinions out there that relate to Jesus, who he is. So think about that this morning. Who is Jesus? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Now at this point, John the Baptist is dead. John the Baptist had been put to death by Herod the king because John the Baptist had the audacity to tell King Herod it was unlawful for him to have his brother's wife. And if you know the story, you know that one night a young woman danced before King Herod and his big party that he had together, and he promised her, you can have anything you want up to half of my kingdom, and she asked her mother, what should I ask for? And the answer was the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Uh, you kind of get the idea both then and now, that if you call out sin, some people are going to be upset about it? I mean, there's a great big controversy brewing right now for the Roman Catholic Church where some of the bishops are saying, we should not be serving communion to politicians that are promoting abortion. And there's a great big battle going on where some of the politicians are saying, I dare you to refuse to serve communion. 
to me. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But when sin is pointed out, please understand, not everybody is happy about that happening. But I also want you to know that no matter where our culture goes, the Word of God does not change. It remains constant. Well, some say you're John the Baptist that's come back to life. Some are saying you're Elijah. There was a promise in the book of Malachi that before the great day of the Lord comes, that Elijah would come back. So some are saying you're Elijah. Some are saying you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. They knew he just wasn't a normal human being. They knew there was something special about him. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Let me pause right there, because this is the most important question I can ask every one of us that's gathered here this morning. Who do you say? that Jesus is. He begins with the question, who do others say? But now he brings it down to a very personal question. Who do you say that I am? And friends, I want you to know your your eternity hangs in the balance based on how you answer this question and what you do with the truth of how you answer this question. You know, there are some that will tell us Jesus was a good man. There are some that will say he's a prophet. There are some that will say he was a master teacher. And though he was all of those things, he was so much more. Simon Peter replied, Now, when we think of Peter, we always think of Peter opening his mouth, right? We think of Peter opening his mouth and saying the wrong things. But at least Peter was willing to open his mouth. And sometimes I think Peter has gotten a bad rap because I think there are more times he opens his mouth and says the right thing than that he opens his mouth and says the wrong thing. But he is bold, and he is willing to speak out. He's the leader of the disciples. And he says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the promised Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. I hope you've come to the point that you know that that is who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, he is the promised one, and he is the son of God, and that knowing that, you have committed your life to him. And Jesus answered him, and he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
I want you to know something. It is God who initiates salvation. It is God who always initiates salvation. And Jesus says to Peter, you didn't come of this opinion all by yourself. My Father has revealed this to you, Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter. You are Petros. And on this rock, different word used, same family of words, but here it says Petra, female. The other was male word, Petra, female. Petros means little rock. Petra means massive rock or even a mountain. And I tell you, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged them. He charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So this morning we come to the use of that word. You are Peter, and up on this rock, I will build my church. The word used there is ecclesia. That's the word for church. Ek, out. Ecclesia, to call out. To call out. Now, as we look at the church this morning, let's spend a few moments looking at the context of this particular passage that we have just read. It is within the context of the profession of Christ that Jesus says, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, there's various different interpretations of what the rock means. There's actually four different interpretations of what it means. Number one, they say the rock refers to Jesus himself. Well, that's not bad, but I don't necessarily think that's what the passage is saying. Secondly, there is the view that the rock refers to Peter as the supreme leader or the first bishop of the church. You are Peter, and Peter, upon you I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, if you read on a little bit later in the passage, you're going to find Jesus will say to Peter when he says something that's not so correct, get thee behind me, Satan. The Roman Catholic Church takes this second interpretation that Peter was the the first primary bishop and therefore the first pope. But that's really not what the passage is saying. Number, the third interpretation, number three, is the rock refers to Peter as the leader and spokesman of the disciples as the foundation. Later on in the epistles, it will talk 
about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so they'll say, this is a reference to Peter, that he is the leader of them. And once again, that's a possible interpretation, but I think there's a better one yet. And that is, number four, that the rock refers to the confession of faith that Peter gave and that all people from that point on who've put their faith and trust in Jesus give that is the rock upon which the church is built. The truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as I said earlier, in the the original language here, the words are, thou art Peter, Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. Upon the massive church. Not upon Peter, the little stone, the little rock. Matter of fact, later on, the imagery will be used in Scripture that all of us who put our faith in Christ are little stones in the church. But this is the very first mention of the church. And notice also, he goes on and says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. See, I believe what we have here is a picture that the responsibility of the church as those who know who Jesus is, as those who know that salvation is in him and in him alone, that it is our responsibility to storm the very gates of hell and to rescue those who are headed there if they don't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I mean, there is very much at stake here. Friends, do you realize that every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, who have put our faith and trust in Him, we were headed down the broad way that leads to the gates of hell and that leads to an eternity separated from God. And someone rescued us. Someone brought to us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone came to us and shared with us the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we have that responsibility to share it with others. Years ago, there used to be a song that said, what if nobody ever told me about Jesus? Have you thought about who told you about Jesus? I would encourage you, it might be a good thing for you this week. Maybe write a note to the person that introduced you to Jesus, if that person is still living, and thank them that they were willing to share with you the gospel whereby you were saved. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That Jesus came, that he died, that he was buried, and he rose again. That's the gospel by which we are saved and upon which the church is built. 
Jesus says here, I will build my church. So let's break this down a little bit. I, it's Jesus who builds the church. The pastor doesn't build the church. The congregation doesn't build the church. Missionaries don't build the church. Ultimately, it is Jesus who builds the church. I will. Future tense. We're going to talk in a little bit about the definition of the church, but I want you to see as Jesus uses this word, he says, I will. It's something in the future. It doesn't exist at the moment that Jesus is saying this. He doesn't say, I will continue building my church. He says, I will, future tense, build my church. He doesn't say, I have been and I will be. It is, I will, in the future, build my church. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. I will build. The church is going to advance. The church is going to continue to march forward. In spite of opposition, the world will not snuff out the church. The world will not be victorious over the church of God. Jesus will continue to build his church. When I was in Thailand meeting with the underground Chinese church planters, they tell them you can't meet. They tell them you cannot share these truths. They tell them what you can and cannot preach in the government churches. And so what did they do? They went underground. The head of the government is not the head of the church. And they can pass all the laws that they want to to try to get rid of the church. And it's not going to work for them because Jesus has promised that he will build his church. And then notice, I will build my church. Mine. It belongs to Jesus. You know, we can talk about this as being our church, and in a sense it is, but ultimately this belongs to Jesus. It is his. And that's why we have to obey and follow him, because it belongs to him. I will build my church. So there we come to the word, church. What do we mean by this? What is the church? Right? As I've already said, it's a Greek word. It's the Greek word ekklesia. That's why we called this series ekklesia. Out. To call at the time that Jesus uses the word and throughout the book of Acts and throughout the, book of the, the books of the New Testament, the word for church, ecclesia, was not really a religious word. It was a word that just meant a called out group of people, an assembly of people, people coming together for a meeting. It could have been at a government function of the, the people of the town coming together. They would call it an ecclesia, 
they've come together. And there's a place in the book of Acts where the word is used in that sense. We could use it of going to a sporting event of all the people gathering together. They are called out to go and cheer on their professional team or their college team or their high school team. They've come together for that person. So it's really an assembly of people who are gathered together. Now, the church, Jesus, kind of took this word and changed its primary meaning as we would know it today. It still means a called out group of people. But when we hear the word church, what do we think of? Well, some people, when they hear the word church, they think of a building. Uh, Maybe some people say, ah, this morning I'm going to Maranatha Bible Church. Now, what's their primary meaning of that? They they mean they're coming to this structure that's at the corner of Pickle and Killian. But it's true biblical definition. This building is not the church. It's just a building. We could be meeting anywhere And if God's people come together for praise and worship of him as the church, and we'll talk more about this as we go on, it doesn't have to be in a church building. We make this building the church when we gather here. Some, when they think of the church, they think of any group of religious worshipers. And often you hear the statement, wherever two or three are gathered together, there's the church. Well, I guess it's possible that you could have a church with only two or three believers that are gathered together uh, if it meets the other things we'll be talking about and have a church, if those are the only believers that are in that area. But the church is more than just uh, some people coming together. Some have said the church is all the people of God of all time. All, everyone who's believed in God all the way back to Adam and Eve, or some might make it a little bit later than that, make it back to Abraham. Others would say, well, from the time of Jacob, when the nation of Israel was established, that is the church. Let me say to you this morning, if that was true, why did Jesus say, I will build my church? Future tense, if it already existed. It is not all the people of God of all time. Someone else might say it's any group of people who come together to worship and study God's word. Well, we're getting closer to the right definition. But just because people come together to study the word of God together, we can call that a Bible study but it's not necessarily a church. It could be, if it meets the other requirements, 
to be a church that are laid out in the New Testament. You say, then what is the church? The church, and I'm going to use theological definition here, uh, that Charles Ryrie, a theologian, has given. He says, the church is an assembly of professing believers. It's a group of people coming together who profess that they are following Jesus. Now, I am not under any illusion that thinks that everybody who gathers here on every Sunday is a believer in Christ. I am fully aware there are people who come here who have not accepted Christ as Savior. And they'll make no bones about it. They come to church for a lot of other reasons. When I was in the business world, they encouraged the salespeople to go find a church someplace and join it so that they could find people that they could sell cars to. Now, any car salesmen that are here this, this morning, I'm not indicting you with that statement, okay? <laughs> I hope you're here for other reasons than that. But please know, uh, it, it's a common practice for anybody that's selling things that needs contacts, they will tell them, go out and join a church so you can sell them cars or you can sell them insurance or anything else that you're selling. There are others that come here just because their family come. There's some that come because they're curious about what is going on. But the church is an assembly of professing believers. You can't join Maranatha Bible Church if you don't profess to know Jesus as your Savior. An assembly of professing believers in Christ who have been baptized. Now, that may come to a shock to some of you to say, who have been baptized, and yet baptism is a, water baptism is a picture of spiritual baptism. And baptism is the, spiritual baptism is the act whereby God, whereby God takes you and places you within his body, within the church. So whenever we are baptizing someone in water, it's a picture of the spiritual baptism that has already taken place. We only baptize those who profess to be following Jesus as Savior. And if you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized, let me ask you, why not? We have baptism next Sunday going on. Why haven't you been baptized? Search the New Testament and see if you can find any believers that you can show were not baptized. Because it was clearly understood that when someone put their faith in Christ, that they were baptized as a public profession of their faith. And so if you're here and you know Jesus, and you're not baptized, I ask you, why not? It is very clear in the scriptures that believers are to be baptized. Go into all the world, and part of that great commission is what? Baptizing them. So if you're here, 
you profess Jesus, you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized. Call the church office. We can work them in next week, right, Michael? Amen. Amen. Okay. An assembly of professing believers in Christ who have been baptized, who are organized. Oh, see, that's what separates a Bible study from a church. They're organized. There is an organization within the local church who are organized to carry out God's will. It is made up of those who have trusted Christ from the day of Pentecost. And you'll say, well, why why do you say that? Because it's very clear that on the day of Pentecost is when believers for the first time were baptized by the Holy Spirit. And if baptism is the act of placing people into the body of Christ, there was no church before the day of Pentecost. No Israel of the Old Testament and the church of today, they are not the same entity. They are different from one another, and God has different plans for each. There's still only one people of God, but God can have different plans for different people. It is made up of those who have trusted Christ from the day of Pentecost to the rapture, till Jesus comes back to get his church, to get his bride. And once again, that's why we say Maranatha at the end of the services. Oh, Lord, come. We are looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back to get us. And Maranatha means that, oh, Lord, come. It's a prayer. It's a benediction. It's a way for us to express that we are looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And when that occurs the church will be complete. Now let's talk about two key terms here. We need to talk about the visible church. That's the local church. That's what we can see, right? The local church, the visible church. Now in a minute we're gonna talk about the invisible or the universal church. But right now I want to focus in on the visible church, the local church. As you read your Bible in the New Testament, over 90% of the times that the word church is used, it refers to the local church. Just read through and look at them. Over 90% of the time it refers to a local church. Actually, the universal church should be made up of local churches. All believers should be a part of a local church. That would be kind of the New Testament concept. Once again, in the New Testament, you don't find these lone rangers out there who said, well, I'm a part of the church, but not a part of a local church. And I know I talk to individuals and they'll say to me, well, I'm, I'm never going to be a part of a local church. It just has too many hypocrites in it. And I want to ask, 
but I don't. Are there no areas in your life that you're hypocritical? Because I could ask you a few questions, and I think we might find some areas that you may not be all that you should be either. Remember, it's the Lord's church. Are we perfect? We will be one day. We will be. But you don't have a perfect pastor. I don't have a perfect congregation. But we're striving to serve our Lord. And there are expressions of the local church all around us. I mean, that's why we plant churches. We want to reach people for Christ. That's why we have five church plants out there of Grace and Mission View and Bridge and Wellspring and Community all so that they can reach other people to Jesus and they can pull them together in an assembly together as God has commanded. And we don't, we're not the only church in town and our church plants aren't the only church in town. There are lots of other good churches in this town and in this area and we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we pray for them. And friends, let me encourage you, if you know of a church that's struggling or a church that is having problems, we don't look at that as an opportunity for us to say, hey, why don't you come on over to Maranatha? We have it together. No, our hearts break for those churches and we should be praying for them and lifting them up to the Lord. We are on the same team together. And certainly, as Jesus builds this local church, and we want him to do that, but we want him to do that with people coming to Christ, not just people who are shuffling membership from one church to another, to another, to another. Now, there are at times reasons for people to leave the church that they were in. Absolutely, that is the case. But I fear in this day when we think the church is doing locally so great and we see the larger churches, we forget the smaller churches that are closing every single day. And so our focus as a church is to reach people who are far from Christ that they might come to know him. So that's the visible church. And then we have the invisible church or universal church, the body of Christ. It's made up of all believers from the day of Pentecost until the rapture of the church. All true believers are in the universal church. Now see, in the visible church, the local church, we have professing believers. In the universal church, it's not just those who profess It's those who possess life in Christ. So the word is used both ways in the New Testament. But once again, I remind you, 90% of the time, over 90% of the time, it is used of the local church. Now this morning, you might ask, well, what's your purpose this morning, Butch? What are you trying to get to? Right. First of all, 
Our purpose is for us as a church to understand what a church is. And in the coming weeks, we'll be talking about what a church does and what their responsibilities are. Secondly, it is to encourage you that you should be a part of the church. Let me say this first of all. You should be a part of the universal church. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in him? If there's one thing that scares me as a pastor that would be my biggest concern, it would be that people come to our church week after week after week and would go out and say, I don't understand the gospel. It is my prayer that you know the gospel and you believe it. And it is my prayer for those in our children's ministry that God save every single one of them. That no one who passes through there should be lost. Surely, when I pray, I remind God, if you could turn the city of Nineveh which Jonah went and preached to, so that they, without exception, would turn to you. Surely you can do it for the children within our church. What are we believing for? And what are we asking and praying? And it is my desire that everyone gathered here this morning will not only profess Christ, but possess Christ. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. It all begins with Christ. He introduces us to the church. And it's all going to end with Christ. What's more important than your soul? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the church that you have given to us, a local church here. Help us that we might be obedient to you, that we might serve you, Lord. And Father, I pray that you will give us a heart to reach others with the gospel of Jesus. For this we pray in his name. Amen.